All right, people, it's a little bit later than usual. I know you're used to seeing us in the morning, but look, it's worth it because we got Chris back for two, that's right, two weeks in a row. Happy, happy days right here, Chris. And I mean, you know, in a way, this has been a long time coming because this is a tie-off to, I would say, one of our three most successful things we've ever done for the channel. That, of course, being the Halloween first-time watch that we did for last year's Shocktober this year. We didn't really get a chance to do a Shocktober this year, but we're, I'm considering this and our episode in two weeks for our actual Halloween as part of our Shocktober. But we're here to, supposedly, this is where it all ends. Halloween ends, man. You pumped for this? Dude. Let's just get into it, man. <laughs> Let's just get into it. <laughs> All of that more on tonight's episode of the Talking TV Podcast. Well, Chris, we're here to talk about yet another Halloween movie. Only one year after the last one that we talked about, and of course, it comes out again two weeks before Halloween itself. Why they don't review? Why they don't release these stupid movies on Halloween? I will still never understand. But whatever, that, and that might just be a long-standing tradition of the franchise itself. But look, last year we talked about Halloween Kills. It's kind of a tie-up. You know, we did our whole. We watched the entire Halloween franchise leading up to Halloween Kills, and that was, I will say, one of the most entertaining experiences of my life. Just going from. Halloween 2 to when it was still slightly grounded to the curse of Michael Myers, which might be one of the greatest things that I've ever seen. The Halloween Resurrection, where he's killing people with movie equipment and fighting Busta Rhymes. To the Rob Zombie movies, which, again, that's a, a taste thing. If you enjoy Rob Zombie, you're going to love those movies. If not, well, you know, what are you doing watching Rob Zombie movies? And that leads us, of course, to the Blumhouse trilogy, which we've also uh, talked about as well. We did not review the, we did not watch the first 2018 Blumhouse film because we'd both already seen it. And I, I I believe it was you that compared it and basically said that it was like the Force Awakens of the Halloween franchise. I was just wondering if you wanted to elaborate a little bit more on that before we, you know, as far as like kind of building into where we are now at the point at this point in the franchise. Yeah, it's totally the Force Awakens of this Blumhouse trilogy, if you want to call it that. Um, it's really the Force Awakens because it could go anywhere. But as time goes on, we, we, we see it unfold to go nowhere. And that's really, I think, the overarching sentiment here. There's a lot of promise. There's a lot of hope in that first movie. It's kind of cool, actually. I mean, they're in this house. You know, Laurie Strode is really giving it to Michael Myers, just, just like going toe-to-toe with him for the first time in her life. And it's interesting. It's kind of like a role reversal, but Michael's still menacing. Again, I'm not saying Halloween 2018 is like a phenomenal movie or anything, but we knew it was going to be a trilogy at that point in time, and it kind of set a high bar. It wasn't horrible, and I think that's something that Halloween fans had been craving for for the longest time. As you know, the, the films prior we enjoyed, but were not necessarily received in the best light. I'm talking about like the H2O Resurrection and Rob Zombie eras. So it's this came along, and I think it, it sparked hope. Um, but that's all it did, unfortunately. I think it quickly fizzled out but we can get into we'll get into more specifics but it just it's it's fitting last decade i think was perfect for getting cool things going and ceasing to see them reach their full potential and and this is another it started in that decade so i think we can tie it to that 
No, I, I agree with it perfectly. It's like the whole it, – it's like the – again, I, I hate to make this comparison because what I'm comparing it to is so much better. But it's like the whole Breaking Bad, Mad Men of it all where it's like those shows that came out like right at the end of the 2000s. But the majority of their run was in the 2010s. So it's like they technically kind of belong to both decades in a weird, strange way. You always get that with shit that like covers the transversing of the decades. I feel like that, that was the case with like almost every one of our favorite shows that ended up wrapping up this year. But yeah, so I want to talk about the franchise itself for a second before we actually got into this movie itself because – it's kind of funny because, again, with, with as much as we talked about it last year when we were recapping each one of those movies, and I, again, I highly recommend people to go and watch last year's Shocktober. It was a lot of fun. I put it right on the main section for the YouTube channel, so you guys should be able to see it right when you go on. But what's so interesting is that I, I've, I've been bringing this out with a lot of people, right? And I just realized that I haven't been talking a whole lot about the history of horror movies recently and how before the 70s, you really look at, like, kind of the history of horror movies, like, you know, from, like, those early couple of decades of cinema, and you realize that majority of horror movies just weren't made. They were kind of regarded as like campy, be fair. They weren't taken seriously. Hollywood didn't see them as a way to legitimately make money. And then obviously George A. Romero was the man who comes along and changes all that with Night of the Living Dead in the 60s. And then by the time you get to the 70s, you have movies like uh, The Exorcist, which is a massive blockbuster success, and that leads way to all of these different horror movies. You get your Texas Chainsaw Massacres, your Omens, a bunch of other ones that are in there that I'm currently forgetting. I remember Dario Argento's original Suspiria had a big, uh, you know, turn in there. And then Halloween comes along, and the whole thing about Halloween that's so interesting and revolutionary about that first film is that it's – so it, it kind of writes the formula on how Hollywood can make horror movies and continue because Hollywood has always had a problem with with straddling movies between wanting them to make money and wanting them to be prestige because very rarely those two things actually cross over. It turns out the masses don't like watching prestige stuff. They like being entertained. But Hollywood is constantly on this hoity-toity hill of, okay, we have to have our stuff be meaningful <laughs> and all that, you know? You know what I'm talking about. It's the shit that we've been complaining about since we pretty much started this yeah, podcast. Sure. And what's interesting is how slasher movies have always kind of straddled that middle line as far as being, okay, they can make, pump out so many of them, you know, we can pump out so many of them because of how cheap they are to make, but they'll never be taken seriously, but that's okay because people will always kind of come back to them, you know, because they're kind of so predictable in a way that people will always kind of gravitate towards them because there's always going to be some level of familiarity in there, you know? Like a horror movie, specifically a slasher, is not as difficult of a sell as like a new high concept original idea, you know? And Halloween kind of starts that, right? Because it, again, it's made on a shoestring budget. Again, it's made by John Carpenter, who we all know is, a, is a, just a master of filmmaking in general, not horror, but it's very, very cheap to make. And there's a reason why so many people ape this style to the point where not even two years later, you have a second gigantic slasher franchise start with essentially almost the same premise with the Friday the 13th franchise. And then that introduces the supernatural element. And then you have Wes Craven who comes on with Nightmare on Elm Street a couple of years later. And then that really kicks it off. But what's so interesting is that you look at the major decades of horror, right? The 70s when it was really first getting started and started to be taken seriously. 80s, which was the era of just nonstop sequel after sequel after sequel. We got like five Friday the 13th, three Nightmare on Elm Streets. We got like eight Police Academy movies made all in that one decade. That, that was just the era of, okay, we're just pumping these movies out, making them as cheaply as possible and just putting them in theaters for as many people to see. And people went and watched them. All those movies made a ridiculous amount of money. Then you get the 90s, which is when you kind of have the whole horror teen phase, right? Where you started, we're like, okay, that's when we really started to, you know, put, make like teen scream queens like the subject of movies again you know while also becoming a little bit more aware of like the parody like the idea of the horror movie rules right your screams or i know what you did last summer is all of that then you have the late 90s with the invention of found footage with blair witch then you have 2000s which is this weird mix of like 
Blumhouse is just starting up a paranormal activity, but it's almost to the point where, like, that's kind of when horror movies started to die off. The sequels were starting to get really stale. The reboots were really stale. There were, like, a couple of, like, micro-budget ones that came out. Like, you had your Saws, which was really successful. Paranormal activity was really successful. But for the most part, horror movies started to die off. And then you have the 2010s, and you have the resurgence, and then you have the introduction of Blumhouse, the introduction of streaming, and the resurgence of streaming is kind of, like, the perfect place for horror because it's that place where... There's not a lot of prestige, but people just love it, and they come to it, and they eat that stuff up. So what's interesting about all of those different de unique decades of horror is Halloween is one of the few franchises that has been around for all of them. And I think that for me, what was so interesting about that watch that we did last year was ever how every single subsequent movie that we watched perfectly captured the feeling of the decade in which it came out, you know? So, like, I just wanted your take on that, first and foremost. No, yeah. I think that's one cool thing that this franchise has been able to do is serve as a stamp for the era of which it was created. I mean, the Rob Zombie ones are literally so 2000s, it's not even funny. And in the best way possible, because it kind of captures like the struggle of the times, like it was a weird era in life. And these are the grittiest, darkest, most violent Michael Myers films that of all of them and I think it's kind of fitting like if, if you want to look at like a, a geopolitical thing just look at some of the stuff that was happening around that point in time right it's like a few years after like Iraq and like you know all that and like 9-11 and all that crazy stuff and then this is the most gruesome Michael Myers whereas whereas where things are good like kind of in Michael Myers uh, inception um, you know we got the 80s Michael Myers. Everyone's making money. Everyone's doing good. So we're getting crazy, dude. We got cults going on. We got Loomis shooting Michael Myers, Michael Myers a total of 30 times throughout the entirety of we got like, Michael Myers the, uh, getting shot up by a whole mob. It, it, right, it, it, right. It's crazy. We're going nuts. Point being, they, they, I think they echo the feelings of the times. And I think we've kind of returned to like a grittier, um, more unsure kind of raw ruthless style of film except the problem here with this trilogy is these movies aren't about michael myers and, and there's only one other halloween movie that's not about michael myers and that's season of the witch and i think for obvious reasons it's okay for this the plot to not center around michael myers in that film whereas these ones i think they run into a real issue and they kind of shoot themselves in the toe because this Corey character, who's the main villain in this new movie, actually is compelling. The problem is that's not why I went to the theater to see this thing. You know, it's not why I bought the ticket. That's not why I queued it up on Peacock. I wanted to see Michael Myers, Michael, not Corey. Right. Well, I mean, they're two they different might. names for a reason. It's and I got to say, though, that. hang on, hang on. Just let me get yeah. this out. And then yeah. I want to toss it over to you because yeah. I got to get your opinion on this. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Why does this keep happening? What is with this soft reboot nonsense that is just ruining, or sorry, soft launch? Like, because we keep having these soft launches of characters. You see it a lot in the MCU with their Disney Plus shows. You think it's about so and so, but really it's about the little under, 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 you know, study character. Star for Wars example, is doing that. Or, uh, yeah, exactly. And now we're doing that with Mike with Halloween. It's like, okay, cool. If we have like this Corey character spin off and explore his demons, which I think are super compelling, really interesting character. Like the opening sequence hooked me instantly, but instantly I thought to myself sitting there in the theater, huh, this is going to be a real problematic movie, but I'm intrigued, <laughs> but I'm intrigued. 
And I just I love how you know that from the opening scene. That's incredible. Well, yeah, of course, because we're we're setting up this deep, rich backstory, which we obviously have to explore. And Michael's kind of there, but you knew the little kid wasn't actually gonna we weren't gonna explore Michael. We were gonna explore Corey's struggle through Michael Myers kind of whatever it is that demonic energy he exudes and his, his ability to kind of impact children as we saw with the, uh, yeah, we, we those... you know, remember when he, he was, he remember he was the subject of the pagan cult. Don't you remember? Exactly. So I don't know for sure. Um, but I, I will say, <laughs> uh, there was a lot left on the cutting room floor that, that, that's yeah. what I'll get at. But real yeah. quick, Dom, I want you to take it over, but we, we actually have some, uh, yeah, we got some, some comments. Yeah. Check. My, we... my buddy, Eric coming in, Eric, good to see you, man. Hope y'all are doing amazing. We are indeed glad to see you on the stream, man. It's been a while. And then we got Michael here. What up boys from the first scene. I knew it was all going to be downhill from there. Sadly, that's interesting. And I, We're on I the same page. Michael. We are all on the same page. See, but I wanted to break that down because first I wanted to talk about this entire new Blumhouse trilogy, right? Which by the way, I have, remember how I was talking last year during the watch about like how the Halloween, about it's like the Halloween multiverse where you have all these different storylines that all span off. I've come up with names for them and I think they're all, uh, and I think they're all pretty good and I need your take on them at the end. But so, yeah. Sure. So you're you're first off you're 100 on the money as as far as that goes. With you're right, the era of the soft reboot, where again the Hollywood has now gotten so shameless to the point where now. They understand that they can't do original ideas. So now what they have come down to is they have come down to pushing forward, new, using already pre-existing IPs and franchises in order to push forward and launch for new characters. That has essentially been their go-to kind of uh, feeding ground for the last like, couple of years. I would say probably since The Force Awakens. You know, Marvel kind of opted that strategy. Um, what's it called? This, this CW has been doing it. Every franchise that you could think of has been doing it. Lord of the Rings, obviously, with the prequels, uh, with the prequel show Rings of Power and everything. And now it's unfortunately spread to Halloween, where kind of the interest of watching the 2018 was how it essentially, it wasn't really going to be Michael Myers' story. It was going to be more of from Laurie Strode's perspective, which at the time, 2018 was actually pretty interesting. And they were like, okay, this is offering something new. Like you were talking about at the start of the episode, the idea of just the inklings of these actually really interesting ideas. And then they just ultimately go nowhere. And that kind of sort of continued into Halloween Kills, which for all of its problems, at the very least, what I will say as far as like kind of in a way do emulating what the original Halloween 2 was, which is kind of continuing essentially the events that we got from the original, which again is already a hard enough feat to do because the original already has that hard set conclusion. Um, but then introducing more characters into the setting in order to kind of make it more fleshed out. You know, say what you will, but like I said, Halloween Kills, I thought, still did a good job of that. You know, the specific writing of certain characters, that's a that we that's a that's a different case. But Weirdly enough, I think that the biggest problem that this new Halloween franchise has had, because we talked about this a lot the other day as well, with, again, the two chief creatives behind this besides Jason Blum, the producer, being David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, who we both know are fantastic creators. Danny McBride has starred in however many of our favorite comedies. You know, David Gordon Green directed Pineapple Express in several episodes of Danny McBride's uh, very successful shows on HBOs, that being uh, Eastbound and Down, Vice Principals, and The Righteous Gemstones. So these aren't like hack creators. These guys who have no experience that are brought in just to make a product. These guys know what they're talking about. And Jason Blum, as we've talked about as well on many, many different episodes, is kind of the guy that revolutionized horror for the modern day by taking that whole old school horror approach of low budget, high concept and just making a shitload of money off of that and also a ton of new like creative ideas. This man is single-handedly responsible for the creation of the Purge franchise, the Conjuring franchise, the Insidious franchise, Get Out. Uh, like I said, igniting the careers of Jordan Peele with Get Out, bringing back Spike Lee from Obscurity with Black Klansmen, uh, introducing us to Damien Giselle with Whiplash, like, uh, you know, turning Lee Winnell into the superstar that he is with Upgrading the Invisible Man. Like, this guy is a franchise and, like, brand maker at this point. So, again, you would think that 
uh, already pre-established franchise like Halloween in these guys' hands would ultimately be at home. But again, the, I feel like the overall problem with all of these movies, specifically within this Blumhouse era, is that they are always at war with themselves. And what I mean by that is they are always straddling the line between trying to introduce these new kind of cool, interesting ideas while also still resorting to being a Halloween movie. You know, it's like they can't escape themselves because you're 100% right. This movie, I think, has a really awesome trajectory with this Corey character. But then you're like, wait, this is a Halloween movie. Shouldn't this be about Michael Myers? And then they kind of resolve the Corey storyline a little bit early just so that they can still have the Michael Myers conclusion either to be like, oh, but yeah, also, this is what this movie was all about this whole time. Don't forget. Also, I feel like you can really, and the great points all around there, man, but I feel like you can really see that there was no clear vision from the start because I think this Corey character should have been introduced day one. I agree. We should have grown with him across the entire trilogy. I mean, you want something compelling. That was it. But the problem was we knew it was all coming to an end, literally. And so it's just a ticking clock and there's just not enough time to properly establish the emotional ties that you want to get the most out of this new character, you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of disappointing because it's like, well, first off, we got to talk about that opening scene for a second because I'm sorry. I don't know if you were laughing as hard as I was, but with the way that that, that kid fell when he kicked the door down and knocked him off the balcony or whatever. And like the parent, the, yeah, that the was ridiculous. Parents, that was so stupid. I was laughing hysterically when I watched that. That was like, that was on par with, 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 with the two scenes with the kids from the 2018 version, which were both the best scenes in that whole movie with the one kid. And his grandpa was driving into ballet class, which who's driving someone to ballet class in the middle of nowhere at like midnight or whatever that was supposed right. to be. That was really confusing. It made no sense. But then they just happen to run across Michael Myers, man. And that's the first time that Michael Myers ever killed a kid, which they comment on in this movie, by the way. And then um, the, the scene with the little black kid that uh, that that the that the you know her friend in that movie um and her boyfriend were babysitting that ended up being surviving and was just like one of the greatest characters I've ever seen in any one of these movies. And it's like. That's like what we're talking about. They always have these like little moments that are great, with the exception of the last one. I don't think Halloween kills at any enjoyable moments. But no, they that always have they atrocious. always have these like little moments of genius, and then they just go back to the generic like CW-esque plot, you know? And it's like as much as interesting as an <coughs> oh, excuse me. As interesting as the character as Corey was, it's like why do I still feel like there's a little bit of seed. Like, I'm getting you from this. I'm getting the flash from this. Like, all those senses of it's like, oh, the good girl being with the bad boy who's, like, actually a psychopath. Like, we've all seen that before, you know? It's a story pattern that's worked, but we've all seen it before, you know? And I don't know. There's just something that felt oh so predictable about this. I'm like, I was hoping it wasn't going to go there, but it's like, how many times have we seen it? The ostracized bully, the ostracized kid that's bullied ends up becoming a freaking serial killer slash school shooting victim to take revenge on all the people who've wronged him. You know, how many times have we seen that before? You the know? interesting so angle was the fact that he was wrongly accused. Right. Of, you know, relations with the, exactly. the, the Michael child. Myers. And, and the other thing, too, on that as well is how his mother, who I think is one of the worst characters I think I've seen in anything recently, but though she had one redeeming point. The one redeeming point being that when she was yelling at Lori, when Lori went to visit her and is like, you know, they, the town needed a new boogeyman after yours disappeared. So they blamed it on my son. And I'm like, okay, stay with that. That's an inkling of a good idea. And then it just went on away and she went on another stupid rant about it. He's like, oh, he's a good boy. He doesn't need to get involved with your daughter. And I'm like, okay, what, when did we devolve back to the 1950s here? Like, what is going on? 
Right. And the thing is, had we had proper time to establish all of these situations, they're all interesting in their own right. It's just they feel so rushed because we're trying to force this ending. I almost feel like they kind of found their voice here at the third film, and it was a too little too late. I mean, the first one would have been, I think, a great standalone. Halloween 2018, I think it wasn't perfect, but it just had kind of what you want. It had the gore, the action, the jump scares. It was more traditionalistic in the sense of like what you would expect a slasher that is reviving a classic, you know, honestly, the quintessential slasher, the the one that started it all outside of like maybe Psycho, which obviously is inspiration for the original Halloween. But you know what I'm trying to say, like yeah. reviving that, but with the modern sensibilities, I think the 2018 movie lack thereof the plot and you know emotional threads as there were still did a good job of delivering a fun seasonal experience then the second one it's like oh we got to make a trilogy because why well dom i'll tell you why we need to make a trilogy the first one made 255.6 million dollars i was about to say like cue up said monetary amount that it made and then you have to make a trilogy after that because three is a nice number, although James Cameron is going to completely destroy that with five yes, freaking is. movies this yes, year. But anyways, because James Halloween, Cameron makes up his own rules. Yeah. And then Halloween Kills comes along and it makes one point. Uh, uh, sorry, one hundred and thirty one point six million. Um, and I believe that one was also Day of Peacock. Yes, it was. And and so I think the good faith and this is just all what I think, the good faith from 2018 drove more butts to seats rather than couches. But uh, this one's only sitting around right now, 41 million roughly. But but can I read something to you just to show please like do. how please torn do. all of the headlines are here on this? Yes, please do. It's, it's hilarious. I typed in on Google, Halloween Ends Trilogy Total Gross, just to see if someone put all the movies together. They haven't, but what I found was quite interesting. Hollywood Reporter says, box office, Halloween Ends opens to so-so 41 million. Forbes says, Halloween Ends nabs solid 41 million despite Peacock. Collider says, Halloween Ends box office brings in 41 million. So that's actually kind of neutral. But then USA Today, that's funny. Halloween Ends (laughs) slays box office with 41.3 million. So everyone's like everyone's saying something completely different. That's every reviewer I've seen about this movie. It's polarizing, but really, I think people are just like, just say it's bad. I don't know. Like, it was fun, but... I I think the most entertaining part about all of those things that you described was the different verbs that everyone was using in order to describe. It's like, Halloween does this with this number. Halloween, nav, Halloween, slam. Like, these writers, they got to come up with some better titles for right there. But yeah, I don't know. What does that tell you about this franchise as far as that goes? You know, it's like, because like... It's so weird because, like, you've got the nostalgia, but you've got the whole mix. Because this is, like, the last – I think this is, like, the only movie this year that's been released, like, day and date in theaters and on the streaming. Like, no other movie this year. Like, they were adamant. They're like, yeah, after 2021, we got to cut that shit out. We got to drive butts back to to movie theaters. And then the only one that that worked with is Top Gun. Um, Yeah, like, I don't know what that number – what exactly to make from that number. Because it's like – the other thing, too, also, is 
I believe this is the most expensive movie in the franchise because, like, you could just tell, like, there was more money put into this oh, yeah. movie than any of the previous movies. Like, the, the, the you know, the, the expense. I mean, it was still, like, pretty isolated, but, like, the expansive sets, the camera work, the gore in this, like, the, like the, the, the stabbing scenes where we actually, like, saw them getting stabbed instead of it being a cutaway. I was shocked. I was blown away. And I believe this is the longest movie in the franchise, too. It's at almost two hours, long, which it puts it about, like, 10 to 15 minutes longer than, like, every single movie that's come beforehand. And... But to answer your question, Dom, what this tells me is exactly what <laughs> I think everyone knows, but maybe some are having a harder time realizing it than others if we're going off the headline game that we just played. It's problematic, but it did do some things right, and that's the issue. The issue is it's not a good movie, but there was some fun to be had, Except they kept raising the ante and this Peacock Day Of thing. If anyone learned a lesson last year, it was HBO Max. But apparently Blumhouse and Peacock didn't quite observe that. Because maybe they brought in $20 million more for a pathetic movie and this whole franchise was in the green. But I don't necessarily know if that's going to be the case now. I think this was a successful trilogy. So really what I think that tells us is while we care, the critics are still in the minority in a sense because the public seems to still be buying the reboots and not really being affected by the same 20, 30 IPs out there that restart every five to 10 years. Re yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. So, so nothing's changed, but we can still kind of tell the truth on our show at least well so you keep bringing out the the idea of like uh, the good ideas that this movie does and i wanted to kind of tackle it there because again i i think that the reason why i enjoyed this one more than the last two again it, it's not at all one of my favorites of the year but the reason why i enjoyed this one the more than the first two is like you said there were a decent amount of actually interesting ideas brought in and while they were too little too late and again introducing whole new a brand new idea in the last movie in your franchise i think is always a mistake i've talked about that in numerous times i still think that this one had more promise than the last two if only it had come in the first movie because first things first let's talk about this Corey cunningham character because what's so interesting about him is that this isn't the first time they've tried to do something like this with these blumhouse reboots because if you remember from the 2018 one they had that doctor character that was so obsessed with michael myers that he ended up stabbing the will Patton sheriff character <laughs> yep <laughs> And, and then putting on the Michael Myers mask only to then get killed when Michael woke up. So, like, they have tried to experiment around with the idea before of, like, because they were very clearly inspired by, again, the pagan cult. And what I'm starting to realize now is the greatest movie that actually featured Michael Myers, that being The Curse of Michael Myers, which is that weird pagan cult where that, like, put the evil spirit inside of him. And that's what made him invulnerable and how that kind of has to pass from person to person, you know? And, like, this movie trying to focus on that idea as far as, like, okay, so Corey, he, it doesn't matter if he did it on accident, but he clearly, like, had that thing in him, you know? And now it's, and now the fact that the town only has this one view set of him and kind of, like, those two forces working in conjunction, like you said, that's an interesting idea. And I'm glad that they focused on that because it's, like, okay, if they had just, like, tried to make him, like, there's a much problematic as this movie was there's a much worse version of this movie where they try to make Corey out to be an incel which it doesn't help that he's already got that look to him but like at the very least from what we're shown about him he's just like a regular kid he's not like 
Um, he's not like projected to be like, oh, he's always online playing video games on Reddit chat boards saying like, you know, all, a whole bunch of other different stuff. Like they didn't go that far, which I'm like, okay, thank God for that. But yeah, yeah I was, seriously. Yeah. Especially because no, but some of the things I think this movie this does too. right. Okay. I mean, since we're kind of hinting at it, um, yeah, this Corey character is compelling. It's, uh, it's interesting to see someone take that route. Um, you know, play with those types of situations that could happen in society. It was kind of bold, I thought. Um, and that was crazy. I didn't, I did not expect Hollywood to give us that. Um, I think they had some really interesting and creative ways that they, you know, implemented the kills and the traditional slasher elements. For example, the vinyl record skip was absolutely phenomenal. I thought that was so creative. It felt so real. That character, that disc jockey was actually really annoying. He was testing his luck, right? He was yes. sort of tempting the devil. Um, and so he got what was coming to him. And that was cool. I enjoyed that a lot. This whole sort of angle that they had going on with like Lori and her granddaughter could have been really good. It could have been the passing of the torch. And I think that's what this franchise tries to do but unfortunately we spend so much time with the mother who gets executed in the second film that we fail to develop the granddaughter whereas we fail to develop Corey to a point where these guys can't now take halloween like jamie lee curtis is getting older they did not successfully transfer the torch over but there was something interesting there that if done properly we could have transferred it over to a new younger face but still have had it connected to Laurie Strode, the character that started this all back in the 70s. And imagine if this granddaughter character grew up similarly that Jamie Lee Curtis did, performing in her role against Michael Myers. That could have been really cool. So I think like when I look at it like that, they tried but failed. I think for Blumhouse, easy win, easy money. But long term, I don't yeah. know. Michael it's Myers is back to where he was. Yeah, well, trying to reclaim his throne, and he's never going to get there. Well, it seems. He's, he's never. If the, if the ending of this movie is to be believed, then yeah, he he's never going to get oh, there, yeah. especially since. And the last thing, that whole underneath the bridge, bringing the victims into that sewer hole, and that kind of dichotomy where is this in his head? Is Michael Myers real? Is he Michael Myers' henchman? That was really interesting, but it quickly fell apart as we realized that the plot was taking us away from, you know, extrapolation that we would have needed to have really got hooked on that Corey Michael Myers dynamic. And that is something with the trilogy. Maybe if they had three movies and they were organized from the start, that's why I brought up force awakens at the beginning of this thing. Yeah, I know it's late, but I promise you guys I'm going somewhere with this. Like so much could have been planned better because I do think there was good stuff here. Yeah. But again, victim of its time, I think. Yeah, victim of its time indeed. Because like I said, everything that you just pitched is all stuff that I would have loved to have watched. Yeah, you're right. Because what, what you mentioned as far as this being an easy win for Blumhouse, where it's like, again, they, they cashed their check, obviously. They made their money off of this. This was e always going to be easy money for them because Halloween is such an IP. And again, they, they finally figured out that they don't have to necessarily make their movies as good as they originally were. They just have to make them look almost as good as they originally were. And that seems to be the way that they've kind of gotten around all of this. But the biggest source of disappointment for me comes from the fact that at the end of the day, these could have actually been something really special because you could tell that at 
points, the talent was actually there. But at the end of the day, even in the Halloween canon, which I'm already thinking, these three movies that we got, they're they're ultimately just going to be products. They're going to come off as just, again, almost like every other major franchising that we've gotten in the last couple of years, just being these soulless shell like shells of the original things that we like that are just at the end of the day kind of corporate products you know i feel like that's what's going to be said about the most recent set of star wars movies i feel like that's what's going to be i mean marvel's always going to be in that weird spot where marvel kind of straddled the line because it kind of started the whole corporate products thing but they were still semi-inventive you know when they were first being released but we just didn't realize that, that was how the corporations were getting their stranglehold on us you know but like yeah it's kind of disappointing because again when you look back at all the old ones say what you will about all those old ones they had their problems sure Sure, but they still were felt more fun and felt more inventive, and they still felt like there was more like creative output that was put into them than these movies, you know, like you said. And it sucks because it really, really felt like they were all trying to say something. The first movie, obviously, with the effects that it had on Laurie Strode, the second movie with kind of the effects that it had in the town of Haddonfield and how that kind of almost inspired this mob-like mentality. It still baffles me to this day how... Halloween Kills essentially tried to be like a movie about Trump supporters, essentially, and then ended up, uh, and then just ended up like just allowing Michael Myers to turn into just Super Saiyan and just kill like 30 people at once. And I'm like, okay, say what you will about the franchise. We've never seen that where he's just knifing person after person in a whole row and also just killing firefighters for whatever reason, you know? And you're right. right because, yeah. Yeah. Because there's an element of this movie where you're like, okay, is this all a figment of his imagination? They could have done something really interesting here where. Is was Michael Myers ever real? You know, I think that would have been even more mind blowing as far as like, okay, the reason why this guy can never be killed is because everyone has just so got this image of him in their heads that like, like imagine if there never was a Michael Myers and imagine that every one of his victims was just somebody that died accidentally because this whole town was just mass hallucinating about this one figure. Like, I feel like that would have been just a whole different rabbit hole to go down <laughs> in of itself. But yeah, I'm just like, it, it just feels so crazy because the other bit of trivia that I noticed about this movie is I'm like I'm pretty sure that this is the lowest Michael Myers kill count in the entire franchise I'm pretty sure like I, I, I'm pretty sure he like topped his entire kill count all in the last movie and it's almost like they had to undercompensate in this movie well you know? it's, it's truly a <laughs> it's truly a slasher film of the time in the sense uh, slasher trilogy of the time in the sense that Michael Myers is you know, he's kind of a pacifist if you think right. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or or literally... maybe it's like a Charles Manson kind of thing where he's getting Corey to go out and do the kills for him. So his hands are clean, but he has right. his little minions going around to do it. But you're totally right. It's like they, they just another issue with this comes from what you just said, Dom. I've kind of just realized through you posing that that sort of very poignant fact here that no one else is talking about. They altered the character to such an extreme that is that another reason why these movies fall short? If he keeps getting his ass kicked every five seconds by everyone around him, including a 65-year-old grandma, how am I supposed to believe this man is a supernatural demon who can take 90 bullets? You know what I'm saying? Like, how yeah. am I supposed to believe that if everyone can beat this dude up? Yeah. Fat Tommy, who's like, you know, drinking his life away, like... Got a good blow on him. Um, come on. Yeah. I mean, come on. Bust arrives. I mean, if you if you want to make that argument, you got to go all the way back to 2002. Well, I'm not. I, I think we're talking about that movie. You're right, but that's true. And maybe this precedes then the 
issues with just this trilogy, but I was kind of keeping it within the no, canon. No, no, I get it, though. I'm sorry. That, that movie, unlike these movies, that movie actually knew what it was doing. So I, anybody, exactly. they can make the argument. They're like, oh, they didn't know what they were doing. I'm like, nah, they, that movie knew exactly what it was doing. But yeah, it's like, I don't know, man. Like, it's so weird because you know me. I have no vested interest in slashers. You know, I don't have a vested interest in Michael Myers the way that everybody else does. So my whole thing is I'm like, I don't know. I've always found it kind of funny. The idea of it's like, wow, this big hulking lumbering thing of a man that can take like 80,000 bullets and survive any knife wood ever. But apparently all you need to do is like use some physical moves. Like It's kind of funny that it took them like 30 years in order to figure that out. And then they just like kind of forgot about that in this movie until they did. But then it still didn't work. But so I want to talk about the idea of. Michael Myers actually dying because I think that's actually something kind of crazy, which, oh no, spoilers. At the end of this movie, they, they they actually kill him, you know, but instead of doing what they usually do, which is okay, they burn his body, but they always leave the body and the body eventually ends up walking away. They actually stay with the body. They have this weird ritual where they put him on top of a police car and bring him towards the crusher, which I don't know. Did you think that they were being a little bit obvious when he was working at the junkyard at the beginning? You just saw multiple, multiple shots of the crusher. And you're like, oh, okay, that's how they're going to dispose of his body, where they put his body literally through a crusher. I, I don't know. Like, so I guess that's kind of why it says in the, in the review and for all the comments in this video, it's like Halloween ends, but is it really? Because obviously there's always the running joke that horror franchises never end because they can always be rebooted. The killers can always be brought back. But like, they well, literally what, put his body through a grinder. Like, is there any coming back from this? So the best theory I heard was posed to me by Johnny, um, our guest on episode one, who uh, our first ever guest with, on the podcast, our first ever guest on our first ever episode said, dude, this could be brilliant. They've cut Michael up into so many different pieces now. Have they just cloned him and created an <laughs> army of Michael Myers? <laughs> and I said, I said, if that was the master plan, then this is that's genius. If that is the master plan, they they are fucking geniuses, and we just need to take back everything that we just said about that because that's that's brilliant. Or but no, or, I mean, also, way, who thought though? Who thought that uh, uh, all you need to do is toss Mike Myers in a wood chipper, <laughs> right? Well, no, right? In this, well, in this case, a parts crusher, but yeah, we could we could have tripped him like uh, what's that? What's that film? Uh, Evil Dead. Yeah. We, or uh, sorry, Shaun of the Dead. We could have oh, tripped yeah, him Shaun into a wood chipper years ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> but, well, no, uh, the, the the wood chipper one. That's Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh, Shaun oh, of the you're Dead. right. You're right. Yeah, Tucker yeah. Shaun of the Dale. Dead Tucker is what you have the yeah, little yeah, zombie yeah. girl that falls and mm -hmm. gets impaled, and then she gets up, and they're like, "Oh, that's shit. right." Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But we could have, we did, we could have tripped him into a wood chucker, uh, wood <laughs> wood chipper years ago, and had this whole thing done. Bl Jason Blum wouldn't have, wouldn't have had to have gone through the right. whole post production process and. It was so stupid, dude. It was just, I don't know. <laughs> it's just continuing with the process of just like, of dimin what, what's the word? Uh, diminishing all your favorite characters. You know, it, it's like everything that you were talking about with what you hate, with what, what you and a lot of other people, I think, hated about like the new, most recent Star Wars movies. It's like, they're, and now even with Obi Wan, they're like, yeah, they're just taking all of our favorite characters and from the old one and they're just killing them off in order to make room for these new characters. And it's like, Put it this way. I think that the ending, because I think the movie for the first two thirds of it is actually all right. I don't think it's great, but it's all right. I think where they screwed up the third act is by having Lori kill Corey and then just have Michael come back for them to show down for the last thing. I think what would have been even more fascinating is if Corey had actually succeeded in killing Michael and had essentially become the new Michael. And so when Lori's fighting them at the end, especially since he puts on the mask and essentially like becomes him, you know, if, if, if Lori had ended up fighting him at the end, but instead it's 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 her granddaughter, that would have been something where it's like, okay, the mantles of both 
now passed on, you know, where it's like Corey kills Lori and then the granddaughter has to, you know, be the bearer of that burden now, you know, where it's like, again, continuing this idea of the evil never goes away. It just passes from person to person. I think if they had done that, that would have been actually like really interesting and really like befitting of the ending, you know, instead of having that weird like Jesus ritual where they're like sacrificing him to the mounder and it's like Haddonfield is free of the evil and it's like okay okay when did this turn into the Salem witch trials like what the hell is going on with this town and this weird cult-like mentality like if this is how you people act just in general is it any wonder how Michael Myers became a thing originally you know maybe there's just something wrong with this whole town in general like I said so many different options and places where this movie could have gone and it sucks that they all had to come in in the third movie the movie that was wrapping up everything like I don't know, man. Right, like you're totally right. Like maybe they were trying to, and this might be giving them too much credit. Maybe they were trying Probably to be is, like but... different anthology idea within each individual film that connects the three movies. So the first one is kind of your violent beat 'em up slasher. The second one is your culty town taken over by uh, paranoia film, and your third one is this possession story. But if that was the case, great on paper, they definitely failed to execute. I agree. I agree but with that. Can entirely. I just say you brought up diminishing the legacy and impact of the character of Michael Myers, where I certainly agree with you they're doing that. But not to diminishing returns. The numbers don't lie. These yeah, movies that's are true. in not the to diminishing green. returns. This... I meant to the diminishing of the characters, but that clearly not to diminishing returns. Oh yeah, no, I knew what you meant. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here by okay. saying like I think we're again in the minority. The public is eating this up. Sure, this this third film might not do as great because of peacock being a larger more popular well, service I don't know. all the trades things did seem to say that they, they were going out of their way to be like oh despite the same day streaming drop the numbers have not been affected but again they could just be making that up who knows i mean 41 million still isn't bad for a yeah, horror film yeah that's especially in a post-pandemic so, uh opening weekend era that's really good environment if you you know if you still follow that stuff technically there's a spike going around again so it's not bad numbers. I will say this much. Um, it doesn't matter what we think. I th at the end of the day, it really does. I mean, the public is well, still going. It, it matters to me. But well, like, I think you know it does I mean. in this case, in this specific case, only because, again, when we're dealing with an IP of this level, right, where it's still to the level of, okay, the people do still have some control over it because – the, the reactions from the public are taken into account almost as much of the critics. There's like when it comes to giant IPs like this that everybody loves, there's only so much that Hollywood can do as far as buying out and making sure that all the things are because look at the end of the day, there are still people that are getting their thoughts out on She-Hulk as much as Disney is trying to just make them out to all just be like beta males and trolls and stuff. And there are still a lot of people who are getting their honest thoughts about about rings of power, even though Amazon is trying to make them out to be all like racist and sexist. And there are so there are still people who are getting their honest thoughts about outed and like you said despite the everyone trying to promote the movie as being a financial success which for the most part it seems like it is i still feel like the reception overall is mixed which is i think fair and accurate like this is a mixed movie there it's not like the last one which was for the most part universally hated like there was some good stuff but there was also obviously clearly a lot of bad so that's kind of what's so fascinating to me about this one as far as like you know you saying like oh uh, you know clearly our opinion doesn't matter i would say that like in a strange way, it does, but it's one of those things where because we still wanted to know what happened, that's kind of where that's coming from. You know, that's kind of the whole part of the franchisification of it all is when you get to a certain point in franchises, it doesn't necessarily matter if the quality is there. You know, as long as you can make a semi 
decent product. That's kind of all that matters. And Michael also just had a genius comment, which I thought was also hilarious. Plot twist, Michael Myers' son. Michael Myers was Daniel Kaluuya in Get Out, and the entire town was insanely psychotically harassing the poor guy. That's also another great thing. Like, everybody who's watching this, throw your theories as far as whether of what you would thought this movie actually was in the comments, because we've been getting some dynamite ones so far. Dude, I think you raised good points there, though, Dom. I, it's it's definitely also not the public's fault, I've learned during this show. We, we, we want to go out. We want to have fun. We want to keep up to date with what's going on. And we're going to consume. It's just what we do. It's just a shame that they know they have us in that regard. Yes. They know that we're going to go see the new Halloween movie, regardless of if they put effort into it or not. So it's, you know, I mean... I don't know how you break the cycle, really. I think like now that we're seeing these issues extend outside of the Marvel Star Wars scope with old series being rebooted and essentially just being cash grabs, you know, it's... Well, I can tell you why. I what you do. Well, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen is there is going to be no fixing it. And you're eventually going to get to a point where they can't keep making these franchises because there's only so many new guys that they can bring in order to do these franchises because they had creative people originally doing these franchises. And then all the creative people left because they realized, oh, wait, I can't really extend all my creativity to it because there's so many shackles and requirements and corporate overlording and restrictions and everything on this. And they're just they're all going to streaming and making their original ideas for streaming and that Apple and Amazon and HBO and Hulu are producing. And that's where they're going. And eventually there's going to be nobody left to do those giant IPs or apropos of that, you're going to get a few people in there who actually know what to do with their IPs and are somehow able to get enough creativity past the corporate overlords but they're not going to do it in the regular way. And it's going to take a while, but this could also be part of that shift that we were talking about last week with Andor as far as things possibly shifting towards, you know, being more in a positive light, you know? So that's what my hope is. You know, like I said, everything everywhere all at once was a big success so far for this year. So that still shows that there are some original ideas that are breaking through the mold. You know, it's just as tricky as the corporate overlords have made it. There's still some interesting creative ideas that are making it through the mold you know it's just going to take more time before we start to get some and hopefully as you see more and more of these movies become critically revived like i said jurassic world big box office success but it's the end of that trilogy for now and things seem to be on hold for that again it was the worst reviewed one this one seems to be coming to an end you know that's the other thing too a lot of these franchises these problematic franchises that we've been following for the last couple of years with the exception of marvel and dc which is going on forever they're coming to an end you know the old star wars trilogy it ended this is the end of the halloween trilogy Jurassic World ended, you know, um, Predator is kind of sort of making a comeback, but like Prey went directly to Hulu, you know, so like, all we're, we're like, like I said, we're in this kind of shift mode where the IPs that we were kind of following were the last couple of years are now shifting and we're going to see what new ones are going to come out. I think Dune, like I was talking about last couple weeks ago, I think Dune is going to be a big one that makes a shift out and it'll be interesting to see what other ones uh, will come about it as well. You know, it's also going to be interesting to see what's going to exist in only movie and TV form and what's going to exist across both mediums because they're also doing the Dune show as well uh, in addition to the movie franchise. So that's kind of my take. I don't really know what Blumhouse is going to be doing on that because the Peacock is still relatively new, but the Peacock has been picking up steam. There've been a couple of original shows. I think once they get a show that gets nominated for an Emmy, that's when you'll really start to see things pick up and you'll really start to see them start to put more movies on there and stuff like that. And like I said, the other thing too is this was still the last one of the day and date drop, which obviously, as we know, is over now. So you got to take kind of all those other factors into consideration. But like I said, it, as, as, as shitty as this year has been for movies, and this year is again, I reiterate, been an awful, 
awful year for movies, like possibly somehow worse than the last two years, which the COVID year and then the, what I call, I've come to call 2021, the day and date drop year. Um, this has somehow been worse than both of them, but the few good movies that I have seen do give me promise for the future. And I think that they will, over the next couple of years, as we get into the mid-2020s, 2023, 2024, 2025, we start to get some new things in there. We start to get some new original ideas. That Dungeons & Dragons movie that's coming out next year. I mean, come Let's on. That movie, like was, that movie feels like it was tailor. That movie feels like it was tailor-made for you. You know, I, I, I'm still po- I'm still positive. You know, we just we got to get through the baggage of all these old franchises first, and then uh, you know, we'll get to uh, you know, we'll get to we'll, we'll get to some new good stuff. I, I'm I'm hopeful. No, I appreciate your positivity. I think that's a good sentiment. I gotta have some. I gotta have mostly because look, if I'm gonna be getting into this industry and I'm gonna start to be making my mark as well, I mean, I gotta have some hope because I'm sorry, I'm not dealing with any of this corporate overlord BS. I'm not having it. It's not happening. I'll make all my shit for YouTube for free before I do that. But before we get out of here, Chris, I just wanted to know, like I said, we ranked every Halloween movie at the end of last year. I wanted to know where does Halloween ends rank in the canon for you of Halloween movies? Yeah, I mean, I think the um, H2O Resurrections are still like the worst ones for me. But this is right above those and the bottom of the bottom. 2018's actually gr- rising the ranks higher than you might imagine. Um, but what's funny is Halloween Kills is still below this one. Oh, so. yeah. No question. It's, no question there. I, uh, there's an argument to be made that Halloween Kills is the worst in the franchise, I would say. As much as I hate H2O, and you know how much I despise H2O, I still think Halloween Kills is the worst one in the franchise. Yeah, by far. So it's it's definitely lower. It's it's definitely bottom tier. This whole trilogy really is bottom tier, you know? Yeah. Nothing beats the original. The iconography yeah. there is just... And then obviously the just Loomis for everything, everything special like... that came from Season of the Witch and uh, and and Curse of Michael Myers. Um, and sure. uh, yeah, yeah, and I will say so. Even though the Thorn trilogy, like I said, Curse of Michael Myers is amazing. But even though I wasn't the biggest fan of four and five, you know, Return and Revenge of Michael Myers, I will say that Return has grown significantly for me. Revenge is still kind of eh, but Return has grown significantly for me. And then, like I said, I mean Resurrection. Again, I say. Buster Rhymes kung fu fighting Michael Myers, and he kills a kid with a tripod in that movie. Like those are apex Halloween moments for me, completely. So yeah, that, that, that's kind. Of, but so I have this rank like right in the middle. It, like you said, I it, it's not nearly as bad for me as 2018 kills H2O five, but it's not better than any of the others. I have that. So for me, like I said, it's right in the middle. Uh, as far as where that goes. And then also, I have officially labeled, like I said, I have official labels for the Halloween multiverse. So as you guys know, real quick before we get out of here, there is, yes, the Halloween multiverse exists as well because you have all these different timelines that spawn off the original. So you have what I call the, the, what's it called? The Sam Loomis arc, which obviously is Halloween 1, 2. And then you have uh, the, the Thorn trilogy, which consists of four, Return of Michael Myers, five, Revenge of Michael Myers, and then Curse of Michael Myers. That's where that trilogy ends. Then you have the teen reboot era, which I like to call it, between the late 90s and early 2000s, which continues off two, which brings back Jamie Lee Curtis into the franchise the first time, which consists of H2O and Resurrection. Then you have the Rob Zombie era, which is, of course, Rob Zombies, which are completely rebooted. And then you have the Blumhouse trilogy, which, again, completely ignores the events of two, except for when it needs to conveniently bring it in for just random shots and Halloween kills for no reason, even though a retcon that one out of existence, which consists of, like I said, these most recent three that we've gotten, Halloween 2018, kills, and ends. So, I don't know. What do, what do you think of my labeling of the Hollywood of the Halloween multiverse? It's just the... You're the critic that... I think, like, unfortunately, man, you're gonna be, like, one of those guys that, like, people look back on it and they're like, 
fuck, we missed this guy like, when he was saying all this. Why did we listen? Channel. Why did we listen to him more? And it's going to be hilarious because you'll be this big time actor and they'll be like, wow, this guy, like, he's just as good of a critic as he is an actor. But why did he not? I don't know. Like, why need you pursue the critic game? I'll be like, none of you motherfuckers listen to me. That's why. You know why, though, Dom? Cause it's because you're too real and you rip the Band-Aid off. And I people do. like that. Real. They like people, that uh, weighted they need blanket. That, they it need that defense feel... mechanism. They need that comfort zone. They need that, oh, they need to be constantly reassured that everything is going to be all right. And they need to, when they really yeah. need to be told, no, not everything's going to be all right. Fix your shit and do better because we know you can do better. It, Little exactly. tough love, you know? It doesn't hurt. Anyway, exactly. so... Final thoughts and star ratings for Halloween ends. If you can finally put another one of your fav favorite franchises that has been ultimately torched by modern-day Hollywood to bed. Yeah, I'm sick of it. I really am. Um, I'm glad it's over. I don't think I'll rewatch the last two of this trilogy. I might only rewatch the first one if I'm bored. And I'm not bored often these days. I have a lot going on. So with that said, man, this is a one and a half out of five stars. It is a movie that could have been but unfortunately was just a lot of half-baked ideas and i'm sick of that so even though there was some cool stuff like i said doesn't give it enough points to be higher than one and a half stars for me so do better hollywood like dom said do better hollywood it's what i'm always saying i it's like i said it's it's not that bad for me like i said i i, I don't have that much of a vested interest in halloween as i know you do but for me it's a three and a and half that's the difference that is the difference. Like I said, it's perfectly well made. There's enough good ideas in here, and it's competently made enough for me to not hate it completely. Like, it's no She-Hulk, but again, it's like, I don't know. It was just something to watch at the end of the day. And hey, it, it provided some closure on this stupid franchise, which I know I railed on and on about last year during the pandemic when I didn't have much else to do. But hey, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and all that, you know, perspective and everything. So that was it, people. That was our review of Halloween Ends. We'll be back next week with Black Adam. We'll see, it. We'll, we'll see if The Rock is actually able to save the DCEU the way that he's been claiming to. We'll, but So tune in next week for that as well. Chris, where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Yeah, you guys can find me anywhere that matters. That's all major social medias at Christian Ivanko. Ivanko spelled E-V-A-N-K-O. I make music, which is also my first and last name on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, YouTube, and a whole other slew of platforms. And I have... So many other cool things. If you click that link in my bio, you can go and check it out. But really, the last thing I want you guys to do tonight is go follow my good friend and critic of his day, Dominic Rizzi. Where can they find you, man? At Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms. Currently getting review bombed for She-Hulk because that's right. I got somebody who called me a hater on my letterbox review of She-Hulk. So bring them on. Everybody else on YouTube is scared of me in comments. I say bring them on. I eat that shit for breakfast. I eat you idiot like fanboys for breakfast. Bring them on is all I got to say. <laughs> at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms. Be sure to follow the official at Talking TV Podcast across all platforms. Like I said, Talking Thrones officially wrapped up. We put up our final episode, The Iron Throne. It is available on everywhere to stream. Had a lot of fun. Uh, again, oh, all the thanks in the world to Professor Pat for making that happen. I'm still trying to figure out what the next uh, kind of series, what the next kind of bonus project is going to be. But I know it's, it's going to take a while because, you know, I only ever do things when they're ready to be done. Be sure to check that out. Be sure to follow the official Talking TV podcast TikTok as well. I haven't po been posting on there as consistently, but I've got a new series that I just shot today. And that'll be available this coming week, especially if you guys are in the mood for spooky season as we are in the month of October. You guys are definitely going to want to tune in. 
to there. I had a lot of fun with this most recent TikTok series. So like I said, official talk TV podcast across all platforms. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitch. All of the usual new episodes are uploaded every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And as always, people, from myself and from Chris, 12 seasons in a short film, and especially to Hollywood, we're looking at you when we say this. Watch more fucking movies. See you guys next time.